This podcast is for alcoholics that have a willingness to recover from their alcoholism by being taught and practicing the principles of the 12 steps as outlined in the big book and the 12 and 12 of Alcoholics Anonymous. My name is Ilya and I am an alcoholic. Page XIII, forward to first edition, first paragraph. We of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. To show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. For them, we hope these pages will prove so convincing that no further authentication will be necessary. We think this account of our experiences will help everyone to better understand the alcoholic. Many do not comprehend that the alcoholic is a very sick person. And besides, we are sure that our way of living has its advantages for all. Page 65 of the Big Book, Alcoholics Anonymous, How It Works. Bottom of the page, last full paragraph. We went back through our lives. Nothing counted but thoroughness and honesty. When we were, fi when we were finished, we considered it carefully. The first thing apparent was that this world and its people were often quite wrong. To conclude that others were wrong was as far as most of us ever got. The usual outcome was that people continued to wrong us and we stayed sore. Sometimes it was remorse and then we were sore at ourselves. But the more we fought and tried to have it our own way, the worse matters got. As in war, the victor only seemed to win. Our moments of triumph were short-lived. So, at this point, I've written out the first and second columns, who I was resentful at and the cause of the resentment, uh, what they did to me in my mind, how they hurt me, and why I'm angry. Um, so I went back through my life, and um, I had to be completely honest and thorough. Now, thoroughness comes up a lot in this program. So we need to look up the definition of thorough so we don't overlook it. Thorough, complete with regard to every detail, not su superficial or partial. Perform or written with great care and completeness and taking pains to do something carefully and completely. So this list can't just be casually done on, you know, for five minutes sitting down and writing down a few names and then saying, oh, I did my, I did my resentment inventory. No, we have to sit down and be honest in every single resentment and every single um, institution, principle, or person that we have anger towards that we repeat in our minds 
uh, whether it's from the past or whether it's from the, the now, um, we had to go back through our whole lives. Just we went back through our lives. So I, I had to go back as far as I could remember. I had to go back to um, school. Uh, there were still resentments I had at bullies that I still hated to this day uh, because of what they did to me and treated me like. So um doesn't mean that I owe them an amend. It just means that I'm resentful at them. We're not at amends here yet. So the paragraph is setting us up that, well, yeah, I'm resentful and I have every right to be. So first thing I would say is why even write it down? Well, because it's it's eating us up inside. That's the reason. And uh, we needed to obviously understand that other people in this world are also wrong. Um, but that doesn't mean that this exercise has no point. Um, I explained in the other podcast when I talked about Bill's example, Mr. Brown, Mrs. Jones, his employer, and his wife, it doesn't matter what their part was. Um, so even if they continue to wrong us, we're still sore about it. Um, and sometimes remorse is involved because we know we did something to harm them too. But most of the time, we came up with our own rationalization and excuses of why we have a right to be resentful and therefore they don't belong on the list. Um, so we need to look past that. And Bill's going to try to help us understand uh, what it is uh, that's blocking us from doing that. Um, and seeing this as a pointless exercise. So let's read on, um, and we'll talk about that as well. So we're now on uh, page 66, um, first full paragraph. It is plain that a life which includes deep resentment leads only to futility and unhappiness. To the precise extent that we permit these, do we squander the hours that might have been worthwhile. But with the alcoholic, whose hope is the maintenance and growth of a spiritual experience, this business of resentment is infinitely grave. We found that it is fatal, for when harboring such feelings, we shut ourselves off from the sunlight of the spirit. The insanity of alcohol returns, and we drink again, and with us to drink is to die. So, um, let me read the next paragraph too, it all intertwines to the first. If we were to live, we had to be free of anger. The grouch and the brainstorm were not for us. They may be the dubious luxury of normal men, but for alcoholics, these things are poison. So Bill is sending us a very clear warning that even though that the other individual uh, who we're resentful with may be wrong um, or harmed us, and we have a right to be resentful, it makes no difference. Um, resentments will kill us no matter who did what. So we have uh, five words in here that are spread throughout those two paragraphs. One is grave, the other is fatal, the other one is insanity, the next one is poison, and the next one is kill. So I have five words there that are different descriptions or nouns or adjectives for insanity and death and just like i will try to learn to control want to control and enjoy my drinking is it said in more about alcoholism okay remember more about alcoholism we talked about the alcoholic who will 
um, try to control and their, enjoy their drinking to the gates of insanity and death. Those aren't my words, those are Bill's words. And uh, more about alcoholism in the first paragraph. We'll do the same thing with our resentments. So uh, a resentment has the power to kill you just as much as alcohol. And that's why he goes on about it. Um, so if I don't address these resentments, uh, I will die. And if I don't die from the resentment, um, I will drink. And that will lead me to death as well. So either way, uh, I have to, uh, to accept that resentments are poison to me, not to the other person. So it's, I'm drinking poison and expecting the other person to get sick, no matter what they did to me, right or wrong. So that is not a luxury that alcoholics can afford. We have to get rid of our resentments. So what do we do? All right. So we're doing a resentment inventory. So this is the reason why we're doing one. I explained in the last podcast that resentments are um, the first category of the spreadsheet that we're going to be doing. So this is the first spreadsheet. It's titled at the top, Resentments. So now let's go back to the list that we created. So we're going to read the next paragraph. Uh, we turned back to the list for it held the key to the future. We were prepared to look at it from an entirely different angle. We began to see that the world and its people really dominated us. In that state, the wrongdoing of others, fancied or real, had power to actually kill. How could we escape? We saw that these resentments must be mastered, but how? We could not wish them away any more than alcohol. So he's comparing resentments to alcohol. How many times did you get on your knees and pray and wish or beg God to remove your alcoholism and it not work in the long run? It may have worked temporarily, but it did not work in the long run. Otherwise, again, we would be able to just go to our faith and pray and meditate and no more alcoholism. But resentments are the same thing. We can't pray or meditate our resentments away. So that is why we're still blocked. So you can't skip to God without doing the work in 4 through 10. So 4 is the inventory. So without understanding the inventory process, we can't go to God and ask for help. Um, the rest of the program is a waste of time, quite honestly, um, without understanding and doing step 4. So what he's saying here again back to resentments is um, this list that we did that we talked about in the prior podcast by now you have written the um, the list and the cause of what that other person did to you and in, in, in column two um, we had to go back to it um, and we prepared to look at it from an entirely different angle so what does that mean well, an entirely different angle uh, was explained to me uh, by a sponsor who had said, imagine you're in a courtroom and you're the, uh, the plaintiff in the case and you go through the whole case and you explain why you're right to the judge and uh, you know, you're trying to get what you can out of the defendant and make them pay. Okay. Now, you're going to have an, the same case 
and you're going to switch roles. And now you're the defendant, and the other guy's the plaintiff. That's an entirely different angle. So in this case, it's the same situation, but the roles have changed. So now we're going to try to look at it from their angle. Um, and so when we're now putting ourselves in a position to where what we would, how we would look at this case from the defendant's table, then we're truly looking at it from another angle. Um, we can see that the world and its people have really dominated us. They've taken up rent in our mind. Um, if others have done us wrong, um, even if it's fancied, which is another word for imaginary or real, it had the power to kill us. Those were the facts. So I can resent my neighbor who never did anything to me because he didn't offer me um, uh, something that I imagined he owed me. Uh, so I will sit there and resent my neighbor because of a imaginary scenario that I feel uh, that I, that I feel I'm owed um, attention and and his and his service to do something, um, but yet I never asked, and I'm building a resentment in my mind, and then I could actually go over to his house and start screaming at him for no reason of his understanding. That has the power to kill uh, me, and it can also can create a scenario where you know a homicide could take place. To be quite honest, so not only can a resentment kill me, it can make me so delusional that we are not drinking and still capable of harming others to the point where we can kill them. I mean, just look at all the cases on the internet out there of people who have been killed in road rage accidents. For one, just insane, you know, um, resentment, which is you are insane when you're in a uh, deep-seated resentment and you have the, uh, the power to actually kill without uh, really thinking it through. So you have your incorrect judgment, your incorrect behavior, you know, you're in fear now. The behavior is the fear. That son of a bitch didn't get me what I wanted, or that bastard cut me off, you know, and you're in fear that, you know, they owe you, or something's under threat, and you'll go out and take an action, which has the power to ultimately lead to death. So, that's the kind of thing we're talking about. This this is not a uh, a matter that is funny. It's, it can kill you and another human being. So, when we look at it from another angle, um, and we see that whether it's imaginary or real, we had the power to actually kill. I'm giving you examples that seem funny, but I don't think, you know, they're that unheard of. So how could we escape? We saw that these resentments must be mastered, but how? We could not wish them in a way any more than alcohol. So how many meetings have you been to where they're like, oh, I just pray to God and ask for this resentment to be removed, and I, and I analyze what they did wrong, and now I know that um, I'm the better person, and uh, God have mercy on their soul. <laughs> that, that, is not, that is not an inventory. That's judgment. And you're playing like you're the you you know you're the you're, you're a saint pretending you're a saint, and uh, and putting the blame on the person you don't like, um, and asking your resentment to be removed because it's their fault. That is not what this is saying at all. So you can't wish those resentments away. Um, so the next sentence tells us what our course was. 
and now this is a starred in my book um, that this was our course that th this is what we're gonna do uh, remember precise directions this is the this is the directions this is an, an opinion this is what needs to be done if you're following the recipe or the directions here we go let's how do we remove these resentments well we've made our list we have the the, the uh, understanding of what they did to us so we realized that the people who wronged us were perhaps spiritually sick. Though we did not like their symptoms and they disturbed us, they ourselves were sick too. We asked God to help us show them the same tolerance, pity, and patience that we would cheerfully grant a sick friend. When a person offended, we said to ourselves, this is a sick man, how can I be helpful to him? God save me from being angry. Thy will be done. Okay. So what I have to understand when I do this isn't that I'm trying to feel superior to this person and have the right to be angry with them. But I'm going to go ahead and say, oh, he's just, you know, a poor bastard and uh, he's sick. So, you know, he, 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 he may, may he, you know, uh, may he die in hell, uh, that is not what this is saying. This is saying that we have to have an, an invariably compassion for this individual. That is the end result, is to have compassion for somebody who is also sick like ourselves, who is a judger and is somebody who speaks negatively. And maybe we have um, a resentment toward them or they've done something completely incorrect or wrong to harm another person. And instead of judging them and wishing them dead, we actually say to ourselves, oh, wow, you know, this person is sick as well. They have a spiritual disease. So um, what can I do to be more useful to this sick person rather than judgmental? Um, and that is what we're asking God's help for. Thy will be done. We're not at saying, well, I'm going to judge and sentence this individual for what they did wrong. We're saying, God, you decide what it is that this man or woman is supposed to happen to them or be done. It's not my place to play judge and jury because I have a resentment toward somebody that seemingly harmed me or others. So what we're trying to do here in this case of resentments is the uh, is dismantle the judgment machine that's what we're doing so bill wilson is giving us the outcome of a healed alcoholic on how they would treat a resentful person whether they're alcoholic or not somebody that we would normally resent we now come to not resent because we understand they're sick because we understand why we're sick so this is the process of finding out how we're not right. Not how we are right, but how we're not right. And when we dismantle the judgment machine that's built into us, which is my default position is to judge, then I can have compassion for other people that suffer from the same disease or emotional illnesses that I do. And that's how we ask God for help to do that. But it's not enough just to get down on our knees and pray. We can't wish our resentments away. So what we have to do is the 
inventory to get to the causes and conditions of what it is that makes us resentful. And then we're able to see that we are also sick and so are other people. And then eventually we'll have compassion. So this, this paragraph is kind of just stuffed into the middle of the literature as more of an outcome of the inventory as opposed to a part of the inventory. Um, so you can't pray for others if you're still in your disease. That's what he's trying to say here. Once you acknowledge your own symptoms and you've asked your higher powers help to remove the defects of character that block you from your higher power, then you can have the compassion for another sick person. So we move on to the next paragraph. Um, we avoid retaliation or argument. We wouldn't treat sick people that way. If we do, we destroy our chance of being helpful. We cannot be helpful to all people, but at least God will show us how to take a kindly and tolerant view of each and every one. So we're trying to put uh, ourselves in a position to where we are able to be calm. So I cannot be calm without God's help. So we can't be helpful to all people, but at least God will show us how to take a kindly and tolerant view of each and every one. On my own willpower, I don't have the power to be kind and tolerant if I'm in a resentment. And in order to remove the resentment, I have to do what? I have to look at my list again. So now I'm going to come back to my list and look at what's within me that was preventing me from wanting to be helpful to other people. Because at this point, I don't care about other people. I don't care if they're sick. I want them to pay. I want them punished. And that's my thinking. Um, and I don't have the ability to flip that to kindness and tolerance unless I have God's help. So God will help me with that if I go back to my inventory. So now Bill's taking us back to that list again. So referring to our list again, that means I'm picking up that piece of paper okay, with the, with the inventory, the spreadsheet. And then I'm putting in, you know, it says on the second full paragraph on 67... Referring to our list again, putting out of our minds the wrongs had done, others had done, we resolutely looked for our own mistakes. All right, so now we're into the fourth column. Remember I would said in the last podcast we covered the first three columns. Okay, column one is who they are, what they are, principal institution, um, um, was the uh, was the call was the was the was the uh, person that hurt us or person that hurt us principal institution or person um, and then what they disturb how they disturbed us right that's column two and then column three was what base instinct is under threat which we talked about is completely described in the fourth step essay in the twelve and twelve. So that needs to be understood, these base instincts. And I also uploaded a sheet that breaks them down um, into uh, the basic instincts of self um, on the Dropbox drive. So you can refer to that very easily. And then we talked about, um, now we're in this, the column four, which I held off till next time. Now, if we go back to page 65 and look at the spreadsheet that Bill wrote in, he writes, I'm resentful at 
person, place, thing, or institution, the cause, how they disturbed us, and then it affects my, what base instinct of self is under threat. But then he puts in parentheses fear a whole bunch of times, which I find interesting that he didn't use other character defects. Fear is one of them. Um, but uh, that is the character defect, is fear in all of these situations. And in some of them, he didn't even put a parentheses. He just wrote fear. So where's the fourth column? That's not very descriptive. But if you know your AA history, there's a whole story uh, in the history about how they had to get the book out on time. And they weren't quite clear on what a fourth step inventory should look like. And Bill didn't really do that great of a job, quite honestly, um, putting this spreadsheet out on maybe a full sheet horizontally, uh, you know, changing the, um, the page to a horizontal format so he could put all four columns. So he only fit three here and then tried to fit the fourth one in in parentheses and gave us one example of one character defect. Um, so there is a history on that. So the fourth column is still part of this inventory. It's just that it's now on the, um, the next page. Okay, it's in, the, uh, in a paragraph here. So we're going to get to it right now. Putting out, let's go back to 67, second full paragraph. We're back at our inventory. We've got the first three columns completed. Now we're putting out of our minds what that other person has done to us. We've already wrote that down in column two. We know what instinct has been under threat as a result of what they seemingly did to us or did do to us. And now we look at it for our mistakes. Now I said that Bill Wilson used different words to describe character defects. Mistakes is one of them. Mistakes, flaws, wrongs, character defects, flaws. They're all part of the same um, words that we're about to go over right now okay so this is right here tucked in the middle of the book is our character defects in the next sentence where had we been selfish dishonest self-seeking and frightened so that's one two three four defects okay so we've got four character defects that are considered our mistakes. So it doesn't matter what Mr. Brown did. Now, what is it that is triggering my defects of character or my mistakes on how I retaliate in kind? So that is selfishness, dishonesty, self-seeking, and frightened, which is another word for fear. So that's the fourth column. And through our situation, although our, and I'm continuing to read, though our situation had not been entirely our fault, okay, so fault is another word for mistake. So where was Mr. Brown also self-seeking, selfish, dishonest, and fearful? Even though that Mr. Brown may have had those, qual those character uh, defects, I don't want to say qualities, character defects or mistakes, or faults or wrongs as well, okay, which is selfishness, dishonesty, self-seeking, and fear. We tried to disregard the other person involved entirely, which is the hard part. Now we're looking at it from a different angle. It doesn't matter what Mr. Brown did in his regard to where was he fearful. We're not taking Mr. Brown's inventory. We're taking our inventory. How does this resentment create character flaws within me 
And unless we understand that fourth column, we can't give our resentment to God because we're not asking God to remove the resentment. We're asking God to remove the character defects. If you read 6 and 7, our character defects are what we're giving to God, not the resentment. The resentment disappears on its own as a result of this process. So now that I'm looking at what I uh, in, in what my character defects are, <clears throat> where was I to blame? I guess that's, you know, where, where, where was I selfish? How was I selfish? How was I self-seeking? How was I dishonest? How was I um, frightened? So again, now he's backing up what I just said. The inventory was ours, not the other man's. When we saw our faults, we, were, we listed them. Now again, our faults, let's, I'm, I'm going to beat this into your heads. Our faults are what was written in that line in the middle of the third, second full paragraph. Selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened. Um, when, we, when we saw our faults, we listed them. We placed them before us in black and white. All right, so now, yes, they're in black and white, and that means on paper. That's the fourth column. We place them on paper in black and white. So that is the fourth column. We admitted our wrongs honestly and were willing to set these matters straight. So I know that I was selfish because my security instinct was threatened. And this was the story I told myself about Mr. Brown. So you go backward now. So I was selfish because my security instinct was under threat. And this is the reason that I thought that I was uh, wronged. And this is the person institution um, that did it to me. And so now you can start reading it from right to left and back backpedal out of how the person um, affected you and created your insanity, um, how your disease, I'm sorry, created your insanity based on the story that you're telling yourself. Uh, so that is really how we do an inventory, okay? So he's going to explain to us that there's another category that is so powerful that we actually create our another inventory on it. So Bill talks about fear, which is also a character defect. So if you look back on page 65, it's bracketed or in parentheses. Um, and it's also in that third full paragraph is frightened. So it's actually a character defect, but it's such a powerful defect of character that Bill has us now doing another inventory on fear itself. So now we need to understand the power of fear because resentments is the first category that we do an inventory on. And now we're moving forward into a new spreadsheet with the same four columns on fear. So now we'll go into that. So notice that the word, we're on page 67, third full paragraph. Notice that the word fear is bracketed alongside the difficulties with Mr. Brown, Mrs. Jones, the employer and the wife. The short word somehow touches about every, this short word somehow touches about every aspect of our lives. It was an evil corroding thread. The fabric of our existence was shot through with it. 
So let's stop there for a minute. An evil corroding thread, the fabric of our existence was shot through with it. So everything underneath all of uh, our other character defects is fear. Okay, It is a corrosion. He uses that electrical wiring um, metaphor. So it's a thread or a, you know, a wire that corrodes the rest of our lives, our entire existence. So that's why we have to do a whole separate inventory just on this one character defect alone, which is fear. Um, and, and what is fear as far as an alcoholic is, is concerned? It's a fear of not getting what we want or losing what we have. And what, what is it that we want? Well, go back to your inventory. It's your base instincts being satisfied, okay, for society, for security, and for sex. And what else can it be? Fear of losing what we already have and have seemingly earned and want to protect. So, you know, my my wife, for example, is a symbol of my uh, uh, acceptable sex life. She provides emotional security, and she's my companion. So if someone's trying to commandeer my wife, all three of my instincts are under threat. And that can drive me into extreme fear, which then I will retaliate to the perpetrator in kind. So I'm not saying that someone may not be trying to commandeer my wife. I'm just saying my reaction may be taken to such an extreme that somebody ends up getting killed over it. Now, we don't want that. That's not necessary doesn't mean that we don't address problems, but if we take our problems to an extreme, our character defects are in an extreme. So no one is saying that we're never going to be afraid again, but extreme fear is very dangerous. Extreme selfishness, extreme dishonesty, these are dangerous. So our defects of character have to also be tempered. Because we can't remove our instincts any more than we can remove our defects of character. That's why we need God's help. Because we can't do it by ourselves. So now Bill's getting into how fear is this underneath all the other character flaws that block us from the entry of God. So we certainly need to understand uh, this a little bit more. So Bill has us create an entirely separate inventory on it. So, so far... We have our resentment category, and now we have a fear category. And fear is also a character defect in itself. And now you know that the fourth column is right in the middle of page 67, which is what our character faults and uh, flaws are, which again, all right, are mistakes even, are selfishness, dishonesty, self-seeking, and frightened. Okay, so now let's move on to... A new category, we're going to use the same inventory and title it Fear. So now that we know that we have an evil corroding thread uh, that scares us to the point where we're paranoid of losing what we have and not getting what we want, what's it do? It sets in motion, this is a bit, I'm going back to the literature on page 67, it sets in motion trains of circumstances which brought us misfortune we felt we didn't deserve. But did not we ourselves set the ball rolling? Sometimes we think fear ought to be classified with stealing. It seems to have it seems to cause more trouble.
So fear literally robs us of our lives. Um, we are in such fear and projection of the future and what it is that we're trying to protect uh, as far as our base instincts are concerned that we actually create a self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, the fears that we're actually afraid of come true because we're setting that ball in motion by uh, taking steps to uh, protect ourselves so much that the actual um, fear could actually come into fruition when it didn't have to at all. And then the ego gets to be right. So not only are we uh, in fear of losing what we have and we're getting what we want, your ego is standing in the sidelines encouraging it because it can say, hey, I told you so. I told you that guy was going to hurt you and you had every right to be in fear. So now, you know, not only is somebody hurt um, when your life is in ruins, but your ego can stand up and say, hey, we were right the whole time. And, and, and pretend to be your buddy when it's really your enemy. Um, your ego is your enemy. Your ego is not your amigo, as they say. So um, we set a train of circumstances in motion. Just one event after the next of just using our character flaws, our selfishness, our dishonesty, our self-seeking. Because underneath that is the fear of losing what we have or not getting what we want because we have to have the show go off a certain way. And then we blame the other person that things didn't go the way we planned. And it basically steals our very lives. It's classified as stealing fear. It takes your very life. Um, and it seems to cause more trouble than uh, it, 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 it's worth. So now we're going to do the same inventory on the fear category. So let's go to page 68. So you've got your second spreadsheet now. And we reviewed our fears thoroughly. Column one. That's not in the book, but now I'm going to read column one. We put them on paper. Back to back, back to paper. Okay, now we're on the fear inventory. So now you're taking out another sheet, putting fear at the top, which I'll upload to the Dropbox drive for your ease and convenience. And you can print that out and print out as many copies as you need because you're going to need a heck of a lot more than one page if you're an alcoholic like I am. I had uh, 25 pages uh, printed out. Um, and then I did the same thing as I did on my resentment inventory. I had the fear. Okay, we put them on paper. Um, even though, and then it says, even though we had no resentment in connection with them. So a fear may not have a resentment connected to it. That's why it's a separate inventory. And then we asked ourselves why we had them. That's column two. Okay, so the fear is column one. Why I'm in fear is column two. Same as the resentment, except it's not a principal or person or, uh, or anything like that. It's, you know, what they did to you, but it's the fear. Why am I afraid of this? And three, now we're going to go into column three. Wasn't it because self-reliance failed us? Now, self-reliance is me trying to control myself and my base instincts. Self that's out of whack is my base instincts. So self-reliant on what? I'm self-reliant on my ability and my ego to control my cravings and desires and my wants and needs for society, for security, and for sex. 
That's what I'm trying to rely on, on myself. These God-given instincts I will control. So we asked ourselves what we um, had them, why we had them. Wasn't it because self-reliance failed us? That's column three. Self-reliance was good as far as it went, but it didn't go far enough. Some of us once had great self-confidence, but it didn't really solve the fear problem or any other. When it made us cocky, it was worse. So, now, I'm recalling my days as a younger man, when I had plenty of self-confidence. My ego was very powerful, and I lived in a world where I was young and better looking and more manipulative, and I could pretty much get what I wanted, just through people-pleasing and manipulation. And people pretty much surrendered to my will on many occasions. You fuel that with a little bit of booze, my confidence through the roof. And so that worked for a very long time, but it didn't go far enough and it wouldn't last as far as this disease is concerned. Later in life, and you don't have to, you know, quit drinking at a certain age and try to change, you know, that's different for everybody. But for me, in my experience, it was when I turned 39, when I knew that this was game was over and I had no more self-reliance in me to keep this jig going. The gig was up. So I had to, you know, accept my disease and my salute and the solution in steps one through three. But now I'm looking at myself and saying, wow, I really was trying to control all of these base instincts for so long. Now I can't. So it only got me so far. So I still is plenty of fear left over because my whole life has been running around like a crazy person trying to satisfy my God-given instincts to extremes. So when I take things to extreme, my character defects also go to an extreme and fear being the evil corroding thread and driver and chief activator of all my other defects. So that's why it's so important that we have another category for it. And when I'm cocky, meaning playing the big shot, it just became even worse. So the more I was seemingly confident, the more cocky I became, the more of a jerk I was, and the worse my fears were. So this is, again, another paragraph about what we need to do. So now we go back to what was our, you know, what was our flaws in that. So how do I do that? Well, I go back to page 68, uh, sorry, 67. And then I read that sentence, putting out of our minds the wrongs others had done, we resolutely looked for our own mistakes. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened? That's column four. So hopefully you're seeing by now, he, the, it's all over. The, 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 the inventory worksheet is all over these paragraphs. And if I wasn't shown where to look and go back in the book to find column four again, I would have just gone to column three and then not known where was I, you know, selfish, dishonest, self-seeking in my fear of losing what I want and lose and a fear of losing uh, what I have or not getting what I want. Okay. So we're going to talk a little bit more about, um, about fear. So let's move on. Um, Sage 68, second full paragraph. Perhaps there is a better way. We think so. For we are now on a different basis, the basis of trusting and relying upon God. 
We trust infinite God rather than our finite selves. We are in the world to play the role he assigns, just to the extent that we do as we think he would have us, and humbly rely on him. Does he enable us to match calamity with serenity? Okay, so now I have to understand that if I can't rely on myself to control my base instincts, because my fear and my resentments are too powerful for me to control, on an ego that wants more and demands everything to go its way, then I have no other choice but to revert back to step two. I have to trust my higher power. I have to trust that it will restore me to sanity, that it is a larger force than my ego. I have to rely that God will assign me the role on this earth rather than the role that I demand in this play of life. And if I do that, my higher power will remove the fixed dream fear and give me peace and serenity, no matter what the, the calamity may be. Um, so that is what I'm trying to accomplish here by doing this work. So I'm starting the action and try, so I have to try to be willing to make mistakes. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm not saying that this has to be perfect. I have to just be aware. Okay, right now I have to be aware of my mistakes. So when I make them, I know how to do an inventory and then ask God to help me remove them. Okay, which we're going to get to in the rest of the program. So what do we do now? Well, we read, the, we read on. We, page 68, uh, third full paragraph. We never apologize to anyone for depending upon our creator. We can laugh at those who think spirituality the way of weakness. Paradoxically, it is the way of strength. The verdict of the ages is that faith means courage. All men of faith have courage. They trust their God. We never apologize for God. Instead, we let him demonstrate through us what he can do. We ask him to remove our fear and direct our attention to what he would have us be. At once, we commend to outgrow fear. So Bill is introducing the subsequent steps that are to come. So yes, we're reading about step four, inventory. But if you don't know that this book's not necessarily always written in exact order, he's got steps five, six, and seven in here. So we're reminding ourselves that we don't have to apologize that we need a higher power for help. And we need sometimes other people to help us along the way. There's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes other people um, speak through your higher power. We hear things we need to hear. But if we don't know the program, we don't know the difference between an opinion or something that we need to hear. And that's where it becomes dangerous to be ignorant. Ignorance is not bliss when it comes to this program. It's dangerous. So we can laugh at those who think spirituality the way of weakness. Those people want to do it themselves and they think that they can play, beat this alcoholic game themselves, then so be it. We'll see, right? Most of them don't. I've seen lots of people end up dead who had cocky attitudes about doing it themselves or just doing steps one through three and jumping to 11, um, pretending to be in God's will, which makes them what? Dishonest. Okay. So paradoxically, it is the way of strength. Your higher power has power that you don't. And that the verdict of all the ages of time has shown that spirituality outlasts them all well before 5,000 years ago, too. 
which is when you know the do the, the 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 idea of one God was developed through the Jewish religion instead of paganism. So even before that, spirituality worked. Um, believing in uh, false gods and instincts led to a lot of disasters. If you look at our history as well, so. Um, that's a whole other conversation. So we're, we're talking about the verdict of the ages, that faith means courage. Faith in what? Faith in a power greater than yourself. They trust their God. Okay? And people who have faith have courage. What is the opposite of fear? The opposite of fear is courage. And you can't pretend to be courageous. It's dishonest. You can only do the work and then have God remove the fear, and then courage automatically comes out of you. Courage has been inside you the whole time. You don't have to learn to be courageous. You just have to remove the blocks that are preventing you from tapping into that courage, which is your higher power. So you don't apologize for that. Okay, And that's step five. We demonstrate, uh, instead we demonstrate through him, uh, let, we, dem we, we let him demonstrate through us what he can do. Okay, through us. Okay, so we're using um, step five there. We need another human being to help us with that. And then we ask him to remove our fear and direct our attention to what he would have us be. So that's step seven. So we're asking for help in step six and seven. We're ready to have these def this def defects removed. And then in seven, we become what God would have us be. Um, and then we commence to outgrow fear. So that basically, what Bill has just done, is take us through a very quick overview of steps four through seven, four, five, six, and seven. And that's why if you don't understand step four, how can you ask God to remove what you don't understand? And if you don't even know the truth, then you can't get to the truth without helping, getting help from another human being. Because God can speak through others, right? If that human being knows what you're doing, we'll get into step five, and understands why you're doing it, then you have picked a good sponsor or another human being to help you get to the bottom of why your character defects are being activated. So now your other human being that you've confided in can't take your character defects away. Only your higher power can. And that's where the faith comes in that your higher power will do for you what you cannot do for yourself. And so um, that's pretty much uh, resentment and fear. So now we have a uh, another category that we're going to go over. And I'm going to save that for next time because uh, this podcast has already gone 50 minutes. And the fourth step is the longest step to understand. And it is absolutely pointless to move forward with steps 5 through 12 if you don't understand 4. You cannot skip 4. 4 is the crux of the program. If you don't know step 4 and understand step 4, I won't even say it's harder to do the rest of the program. I'm going to go as far as to say you can't do the rest of the program. You may be under the illusion that you're doing it, but you're not. Because without understanding what your base instincts are in column three and what your character defects are, which are clearly outlined in this book in two places. One is on page 67 
Where had we been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened? That's four character flaws. And then I'll skip ahead here just for a second. Turn to page 69, and you'll see um, on the first full paragraph towards the middle of the page, where had we been selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate? So Bill adds another one, inconsiderate, to the equation. Because the next category, or inventory, if you will, is going to be on sex, which is also about relationships. And when we're not just dealing with ourselves and there's other people involved, we can be inconsiderate of other people. So now he's introducing an extra character defect. Um, that is in how it works as well. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to save the next podcast for relationships, which is the sex inventory. I mean, sex is relationships. You have sex with other people. You have relationships with other people. And it's not just about intercourse, which what we're going to talk about next time. A lot of people think it's just about intercourse. No, it is not. Um, sex has includes intercourse, but it's just not about intercourse in itself. So that's another thing that people don't want to touch on because they think it's just some private sex life that I have to admit to to another human being and he'd be humiliated. Not the case at all. Um, so in any event, we know um, how to do a resentment and a fear inventory. I'm going to upload the fear inventory next. So you can see that um, the third column is uh, just our self-reliance on our base instincts. So um, that will be um, uploaded for you to review and to complete as well. So for now, um, since I try to keep these podcasts at least no more than an hour, it seems like um, I will save the, uh, the, th the, the third category, um, the sex inventory, um, for another time or for the next podcast. So, uh, and I will summarize what we've done up to this point at the beginning of the next podcast too. So um, you can tie the uh, fourth step all together with the different types of inventories on uh, the four columns. So uh, I guess it's become kind of a, a, an unexpected ritual for me to say God bless at the end of every podcast. But I do wish uh, your higher powers will for all of you out there. And uh, until next time. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference.